By the time that the Apostle Paul is writing his second letter to the believers in Thessalonica, the Lord had long before ascended into heaven. But his work for his people had not stopped. We know from the book of Hebrews that after he sat down the majesty on high, that he continues to intercede for his people on the basis of the work that he has done for us on the cross, on the basis of his resurrection, and that the Lord is not done with the work that he is doing. Indeed, this is really the reason that we gather here, is that the Lord is not done doing work among people. It's the reason we send missionaries. It's the, it's the reason we have hope. Uh, we believe that Christ continues to do His work, and we, we pray for Him to continue to do His work. And that's what we see reflected in the way that the Apostle Paul writes these believers who live in Thessalonica. They're under great pressure, um, persecution from the start, yet they have persevered, and that alone was indication of the Lord's work among them. And we see Paul continuing to talk about what God is doing. As he moves toward the end of this letter, you see him emphasizing more and more his prayers for them. And the prayers of the apostles tell us what mattered to them as spokesmen of the Lord. Remember, apostles is a sent one that Christ has chosen to, to give out the gospel. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if uh, we could dial up the apostle Paul, uh, you know, we had him on speed dial, or we could text him and say, Paul, what do you think? Um, and kind of give us some, some guidance. Well, we have that direction given to us in the Word of God. Their prayers recorded for us reveal what should matter to us, and they reveal what to expect from the Lord's activity in our own times. When we pray, we're praying to the Lord, and it's helpful to know that we are praying in line with the kind of work that the Lord does. And so, as the text we look at this morning in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, Paul's words will point us to the Lord at work in his life and in the lives of those he writes. I've underlined the multiple references to the Lord so that we can kind of see this theme uh, develop, but follow with me as I read 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Four areas that point to the Lord at work. First off, in verse 1, as he asks prayer uh, for the word of the Lord to speed, we see that the Lord at work is evidenced by gospel advance, that any advance we see of the gospel in the lives of people is due to the Lord uh, operating, energizing at work in their lives. Secondly, in verses 2 and 3, the Lord is at work in His faithful protection of His people. So, the gospel, preaching the gospel is not always as easy to do as it would be in an arena like this. It's often in the face of conflict and of persecution, 
And those that are messengers of the gospel need the Lord's protection. And we each as individual believers need the Lord's protection. For we know that the evil one, the devil, seeks whom he may devour. And then in verse 4, we see that the Lord is at work in scriptural obedience. He has confidence in the Lord that they will obey. His confidence is not in their ability, their smarts, their willpower. His confidence is in the Lord that He will be at work in their lives to make them obedient. And finally, the Lord is at work as He draws us to have heart devotion to Him in verse 5. So let's look at these one by one. First off, the Lord at work in gospel advance. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Now, it's interesting that Paul, great missionary that he was, regularly asked the churches that he planted to pray for him and for his fellow missionaries in their efforts to spread the gospel. He, he was not a self-dependent missionary, but a God-sent, God-empowered, God-dependent, and therefore God-glorifying messenger of the gospel. So he's not, he's not the kind of messenger of the gospel, the kind of evangelist that's bragging about what he's done. He's actually a, a messenger of the gospel that is saying that the Lord is doing this work. I'm dependent on him, and without your prayer for the Lord to work, I can do nothing. This is what Christ taught his disciples. He, for instance, later on, this would be after he wrote to the Thessalonians, he's writing from house arrest in Rome, he writes to believers in Colossae, he says, at the same time, pray also for us that the Lord may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison. So he's in prison, and he's not so much worried about the prison door being open where he's set free, but he does want the door open so that the Word, the mystery, the gospel of Christ can be preached, and that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So he's asking for opportunity and he's asking for clarity. The Apostle Paul is asking for this. He writes similarly around the same time to those in, in the church at Ephesus, and we saw this just uh, this last week in our evening study, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly with freedom of speech to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Around the same time, he writes believers in Philippi. And there he actually reveals that God is, is answering these kinds of prayers. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened to you, Paul? Well, I've been mobbed in Jerusalem in the temple precincts, practically killed, rescued by Roman soldiers. Forty men vowed to assassinate me, but they failed. I was taken to Caesarea. I cooled my heels there for two years because the officials wanted a bribe, finally had to appeal to Caesar. I'm shipped off to Rome on a ship. The ship is shipwrecked. On the island where it's shipwrecked, a snake bites me while I'm gathering firewood. But I get to Rome anyway. And there in Rome, 
I'm chained to members of the Praetorian Guard, the bodyguards of Caesar, and every day people come by and I'm able to share the gospel. And in time, even those in the palace guard come to Christ. And there are members of Caesar's household that are believers. Extraordinary. Extraordinary work of the Lord. You could could imprison Paul, but you could not shut up the gospel. Why? Because the Lord was at work in gospel advance. He says, pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, may run and be honored, be glorified. It almost brings the image of a, a runner in, in a marathon race or, or in a sprint, surging ahead in the race and then winning the prize, the crown of glory. But what does that mean in relation to spreading the word of the Lord, the gospel? When we say, well, we want the word of God to run We want it to be glorified. Well, what does that actually mean? I mean, it's a very poetic way of saying it, but but what does it mean in in real life? Well, he he gives us the clue as to what it means in real life, as happened among you. So he's going to tie those, that metaphor, he's going to tie it into actual history. The word of the Lord is glorified when those who hear it, believe it, trust in it, and are transformed by it. He says it this way in his first letter to these believers. He says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I mean, think about the way people think about preaching today. In fact, I often think about this as I'm driving to church on a Sunday, like, you know, If you didn't know the Lord and the Lord at work, you you would have to say, you people are crazy and I'm crazy. How does a guy make his living just talking out of a book that was finished 2,000 years ago? I mean, that's like crazy. That's a dumb way to waste your Sunday morning. You could have slept in. And, and, And yet, you see that the Lord has glorified himself and his word by having it work. And so, if you're one that's trusted in Jesus, you know that the word of the Lord, these words, have actually rooted themselves in your heart, and God's Spirit has spoken to you and changed you and transformed you through the word, through talking, but talk that came from God words that come from God. The gospel succeeds not because we are awesome messengers of it. The gospel succeeds because it's the power of God unto salvation. God's words are are so powerful that he created the heavens and the earth with words. And he creates life in us the same way. Whatever good behavior or reputation the messengers of the gospel have, whether it's Paul or whether it's one of us, That comes from God's power at work in our lives. That's what gives credibility to the message that the gospel actually works. And beyond that, the gospel works in the hearts of unbelievers. It convinces them that these things are so. I mean, people will testify. I mean, in in the days of the Great Awakening, I'll never forget the story of of people coming to to mock um, Wesley and Whitfield at their preaching. And, and they, they put actions to their mockery. They tore down the place where they were meeting. And, and just 
you know, it's horrible, okay? The next day, they go back, the preachers go back, preach in the same place, and the people that had torn down the building were converted. They, were, they did not go disposed to listen at all, but God's word won a hearing. It seems extraordinary that mere words could bring about such change, but that's the nature of words of God. They create everything out of nothing. He uses his word to create faith in our hearts and to bring life to our souls. And with Paul, then, we pray that the gospel word of the Lord will run, that it will spread like wildfire, that it will surge ahead and make new advances, and that as it does, it will meet great success and and bring God great glory, that it will be received, that it will be at work in the lives of the people that hear, it will transform them, that it will be glorified as the powerful truth that it is, instead of being mocked, as it often is, as trivial and powerless and foolish, a waste of time, or even harmful. So we pray for gospel success because it demonstrates the Lord at work. So here are some questions for you to think about. Where do you see the word of the Lord belittled and vilified? Think about the arenas. Think about the different voices that, that you've heard. What would happen if you and I earnestly prayed for the word of the Lord to surge into those arenas, those very arenas, and be glorified? Now, think about it. We we see this from time to time. We see platforms that are never used to honor God, in fact, are usually used to belittle Him, suddenly taken over because of some kind of event with the gospel where it's preached. It could be an NFL player with a cardiac arrest. It could be an explosion of a spacecraft. It could be a war. It could be any kinds of things, the kinds of things that happen where, where people that never talk about God can't stop talking about God with a public audience. Well, well, what would happen? What would happen if you and I were to target in our prayers, those places, those arenas, those places of power where the word of the Lord is belittled, and we say, God, may it run there and be glorified. And as we pray that way, think about some persons in whom you have seen the gospel have great success so that it's glorified for its transforming power. One of the the difficulties that we have in a crowd like this is that we just we kind of just assume that everybody came here prepackaged just like they are. You know, and, you know we're regular people with our, our problems and whatever else, but we just kind of say, well, you must have grown up in a Christian home. You, you must have heard the Bible from the... You would be amazed at the backgrounds. When you start hearing how people came to Christ, you would, you would be blown away with the transformation that God has already worked and is working in the lives of your own brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know about some of those, and it's good to remind yourself of God's work in their lives. And then this this third question, who are the persons and places that you're already praying will receive the word of the Lord 
bringing it the glory it deserves through their transformed lives. In other words, you're already praying for some individuals and some places for God to be at work. And I thought we might just take just a moment. Okay, first off, do you have, you have those people in mind? Okay, these are people that you regularly pray for. They'd be on your prayer list. Uh, people that you've thought of or we pray for from time to time. Have those people in mind? Okay. If you have those people in mind, here's what I want you to do. I would like you to turn to the person next to you. It could be your husband or wife, or it could be somebody you don't even know, but a fellow believer or sister believer, and I'd like you to share those names. Now, if you've got a list of 25 people, we don't have time for that. So choose your top two or three, okay? And, and share those names with brothers and sisters around you. And, and you, don't, you don't have to stop sharing there. You know, you can share more later. But I was just thinking it would be good for us to say, hey, let's make this concerted prayer. Let's recruit some brothers and sisters that will pray with us for this individual and that individual and for that workplace. So I'm going to give you, I think you'll need less than 30 seconds to do this, right? I want you, well, 15 seconds apiece, right? I want you to turn the person next to you and tell them the names so that they can pray with you. Maybe you want to jot down these names in your notes there, okay? Okay, time beginning right now. I don't have my stopwatch, so I'll just have to kind of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Okay, that conversation can continue, but how many of you have some names, new names of people to pray for, for the sake of the gospel? I want you just to raise your hands, raise them really, really high. Okay. All right. This is what needs to happen, right? The, the multiplying of those praying to the Lord for individuals. Let's see what the Lord will do. Um, maybe some Sunday evening coming up in our evening gathering, we can start sharing how some of these people came to know Christ, where the word of the Lord ran and was glorified. Well, the Apostle Paul demonstrates in his life, um, as many do, as all of us will in some way or another, that this is not an easy road taking the gospel to people. There are enemies of that, uh, notably Satan himself, and he has his people that, that push against it. So he Secondly, wants them to pray regarding faithful protection, and he prays for them the same thing. This is the Lord at work. Verse 2, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. The first word wicked literally means out of place. And in the moral realm, it refers to those who behave in an outrageous or unreasonable way. It was commonly used to refer to outrageous acts against property. So those who would vandalize it or destroy it, much like what you see a mob do when it's out of control. Well, Paul knew what that was like. He knew what it was like to be attacked by rabble. And so he's not just 
you know how some people are exaggerate when they talk. He's not just exaggerating here. He's actually seen this kind of behavior, and he knows he needs the Lord to protect him from it. The second word, evil, common word for evil, is more than just being bad, but, but has, carries with it the idea of being malicious and, and vicious, where you're desiring harm against others, and you're trying to work harm against others. It's significant that Christ and the apostles call the devil the evil one. And in the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that He taught His disciples, He has them pray to protect them from the evil one. Um, So, those that are still under Satan's evil power are going to behave like their father, the devil. They're going to lie. They're going to do harm. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And they behave the same kind of way. The statement, for not all have faith, reminds us that the ultimate cure for this kind of evil attitude and evil action is faith in Christ. When the word of the Lord runs, when the gospel takes root in a person's heart, he turns him around from this kind of behavior. But as the gospel is coming to him, that's a threat to those that would carry it to him. The gospel transforms us from the hurtful people we are by nature into those who bring positive benefit and kindness to others. And this is just, I mean, this is inevitable. This, This is intrinsic to the transformation that God works. And it's why over and over and over again, the New Testament talks about it. I love the passage in Titus 3. I think it's perhaps most clear here where he says to Titus regarding those he's ministering to, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. And he gets more specific, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I mean, that's a tall order. You say, wow, that's, um, I have to expand my list of all the good things I've got to do here. But then he explains, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He points to this radical change that happened when when God made himself known through the gospel, when we were born again, and we are changed, not because of works of righteousness as we have done, but because of his great love and his mercy toward us. This transformation comes from being reconciled to God, whose own character is faithful and good. If you can remove the barrier between a, a sinner and a rebel, and God. And that's what Christ does. And when we trust Him, that barrier is removed. You remove the barrier. God rushes into that life. God brings life to those that are dead in trespasses and sin. And that person starts to take on the very character of God, a character of goodness. So he prays for protection from those who haven't yet made that transition because they haven't yet put faith in Jesus. Not all have faith. But in contrast, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So in contrast to those who don't have faith and are not faithful, the Lord is 
faithful. And that's really important. You know, if I've got enemies, I want to know that I've got an ally who can handle the enemies and, and that he's not going to turn tail and run in the middle of the firefight. When God is your ally, he's a faithful ally. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He makes us stable. He makes us able to stand firm. Being established refers to that inner strength that God gives to us. We are strong in the Lord and the power of His might, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 6. God is also faithful to guard us against Satan's spiritual attacks from the outside. And this is exactly what Christ prayed for His disciples in John 17. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them, that you guard them from the evil one. Now, from time to time, you and I are exposed to the evil work of Satan. Sometimes it's really obvious to us, and it can, you know, the natural response to that is great fear. But remember that the Lord at work guards his people from the evil one. Greater is you that is in you than he that is in the world. Christ, through his spirit, is in you. He's guarding you. He's interceding for you. You are safe even now from even someone as powerful as the devil himself. Our protection comes from the Lord. It is the kind of work he does on behalf of his children, and it is right for us to pray that he will protect us and that he will protect others in line with his faithful character and his revealed will for us to guard us. So let me ask you these questions. What fears keep you from setting the gospel loose to do its work among unsaved people you could reach? I mean, we're kind of in an environment where there's very little risk involved. So sometimes we're just afraid that they won't like us anymore. And there are many places in the earth where it will cost you way more than that. What dangers to other believers call for you to pray for their protection. I mean, one of the reasons that we pray for believers in uh, 1040 window and in other places where there's great persecution, uh, we, we want to pray for them that God will protect them. And this is the pattern that we see here in Paul's letter. And in what ways do your attitudes and actions show confidence in the Lord's protection? I think this is, this is really critical in a world where we wear our feelings on our sleeve, uh, we put it on our Facebook page, we put it on Twitter feed, we, you know, we're just like dumping it out there. What, what persona are you putting out there? Is it a fearful, fretful persona? Is, is that, are you... Are you communicating that? Now, so there's two questions. One is, is that the testimony that you want before the world? Does that commend the gospel? But secondly, why are you so fretful? What are you, what are you fearing so much as if the Lord has gone on vacation or he's died? The Lord is still running the universe. The Lord is still at work. And if you go back through history, there's never been a time that's totally placid and safe. I mean, maybe pockets of it here and there, but, but really, where are you going to land? If you were a time traveler and said, well, I want to go to this century or that century, well, sorry, 
it's, it's going to be bad whatever century. They'll be good there too. The Lord is at work throughout all of history. So look, serve God where you are and stop fretting and stop wringing your hands and start praying for God to protect his people and let the gospel go forth. Well, in verse 4, we find the third thing that shows the Lord at work, and that's scriptural obedience. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. And I think a lot of times we think about obedience to the commands of God purely in terms of duty. And I mean, it's appropriate to think of it as duty. Certainly that is our highest duty. But the question is this, how do those who are sinners by birth and by choice become obedient children of God? There are those who try to reach obedience by pure willpower and personal discipline. In fact, this is kind of the basis of all the religions of the world. If you will do these things, then you will win favor with God. And, and somehow you're supposed to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You're supposed to, to work up this change in your life. That's not the way that the gospel works. The confidence of Paul and his missionary companions is not in the willpower of the Thessalonian believers. Their confidence is in the Lord to bring about obedience in the lives of these young believers. It is his life power in them that makes the difference. Their confidence is something God has proven to them. Because Paul's words literally mean we are persuaded. Not just that he's confident. You know, some people are confident all the time. They're like, you know, every day is a fantastic day. And you say like, okay, this is an act. Okay? It's not just that he's a super confident guy. We're persuaded. And persuasion requires evidence. He and his co-workers have been convinced by the evidence. They've seen this happen everywhere the gospel has gone where God has taken rebels and he's made them obedient saints and children. It's an amazing thing to see. It is the Lord at work. The Thessalonians are already obeying the commands that were handed down to them. Remember the word Paul uses there, command, is like a, a military officer giving orders to the soldiers that he leads. And Paul is confident that they'll continue to obey. He uses the term again, he's going to use it again in verse 6, we'll look at it next week, when he gives further commands for them to keep away from those that were living in idleness, contrary to what the apostles had taught and what the apostles had modeled before them. So as we endeavor to disciple others to follow the Lord's command, it's really, it's really helpful to them for us to express our confidence in the Lord that they will do the right thing and obey. They don't have to be forced or threatened or bribed. The Lord is at work in them. If the Lord is at work in them, he will make them glad to follow the commands they've received. So as you interact with your children or you interact with those that you're mentoring or you're discipling, if you see that they actually have life from God, you can express confidence in the Lord that they're going to keep growing, that they're going to do the right thing. And sometimes we struggle to do the right thing, but, but it's really helpful to have someone say, hey, I, I know you're going to do the right thing because I know you love the Lord. And the guy goes, yeah, you know, I, I do love the Lord, and the Lord's rescued me, and I'm going to do the right thing. Even if it's a hard thing to do, I'm going to do it. And, 
And it's helpful to talk to people this way. Paul models for us how to disciple other peoples. So what areas of disobedience to God's commands do you need to turn over to the Lord to empower you to do right? You know, they got thinking about this individually. There are some things that are, that are just hard for us to get a handle on. For whatever reason, they're deeply ingrained in how we live and how we think. And we know that it's wrong, and, and we're, we confess it. But what, what if you were to pray, put your confidence in the Lord to give you victory in that area? And as you work with, with other believers in the 252 Project or, or in other, you have other relationships where you're encouraging one another, you know, pray for one another, the Lord, to give them the ability to obey, to be at work in them. And then whom can you encourage to keep on obeying the Lord's command with confidence they will do so? We need one another in this. I don't know about you, but I know from time to time, it's like, like what's the use? Like, it's too, it's too hard. You know, or I failed too many times. It's, you know, this is costing me too much. And to have a brother or sister say, hey, hang in there. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Or, or you, can, you can add this to your life. It's really a helpful thing. And then finally, we get down to really the core of everything, heart devotion. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Paul prays for God to continue working at the deepest level of who they are. Not just the change, the, the outward behavior, but the heart behind it, to direct their hearts. That is to open up the way and remove any obstacles. Now, you remember that when the Bible talks about one's heart, it refers to the core of who you are, not, not just your emotions, but your mind and your will, your disposition, the, kind of like the, the nerve center, the command center of your whole life. Well, where does the Lord shepherd our hearts? When He is guiding us, when He's removing the obstacles, where does He take us? Well, He takes us into the love of God. His deep fatherly love for us and the resulting love for him that inspires our daily living. You know, if somebody loves you deeply and treats you that way, it, it's almost impossible for you not to love them back. And when it's God who has convinced you of his love, he draws a love out for them. We love God because he first loved us. And then, and then God is going to shepherd us also into the steadfastness of Christ. His endurance is is really the benchmark for us. It's everything his saving work required, um, culminating on his death on the cross, required great endurance. He remained under the load to fulfill the will of God and to rescue us. And, and those who put their faith in him start to take on the same kind of endurance. They're willing to deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him and imitate him. They bear up under the load. Why? For the sake of of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the pleasure of God. They, they persevere whatever comes their way, and, and the Lord guides their hearts into this path of endurance. Love and endurance mark those who belong to God. 
So we, we pray for the Lord to be at work strengthening our brothers and our sisters to continue this lifestyle because it's rooted right in the very core of who they are. It comes from the heart, this love and this endurance, this toughness that helps them bear up under the difficulties. So in what ways has the Lord directed your heart to sense God's love for you and to grow in your love for Him. And I think it's important for us to remind ourselves of how much the Lord loves us and to hang on to sensing that and then to turn that love back to Him in adoration. And what examples of endurance can you attribute to the Lord's work in your life or in the lives of believers you know? You know, a lot of times we, we see people go through really tough circumstances year in and year out. And say, like, how did they survive this? And you get to know them and you pray for them. But it's good for you to say, hey, the Lord is giving them endurance. And then there are times we, we reach certain points in our own lives where we say, I, I don't even know how I made it. I don't know how I got up every morning. But the Lord gave us that endurance. The Lord directs our hearts that direction. So we see gospel advance and faithful protection and scriptural obedience and heart devotion. All of these are evidences of the Lord at work. The Lord continues to be at work in these strategic ways right to this very day. And so we want to pray that he will continue to be at work in our lives, in the lives of the people that, that we touch in these key and important areas. Let's take a moment now and, and just come before the Lord in prayer. Lord, you know our hearts and you know our lives and you know how much we need what this passage has highlighted for us. God, we, we want to see you at work and we pray for you to be at work. We pray for you to be at work as we seek to spread the gospel, Lord, and, and, and we ask protection and really a removal of our fears from, from being bold with the gospel. And God, we pray that, that among those who've been exposed to the Word of God, there would grow great scriptural obedience, the, a sense of these are commands handed down from King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the captain of the Lord's host has sent us these orders, and, and we're going to follow them. And Lord, I pray that, that our very hearts would belong to you, that that we would immerse ourselves in your love and that you would grant to us great endurance uh, right at a heart level. God, help us not lose heart. Help us not, not drift from you. Help us to be completely yours. Help us display that you are at work, that you may be glorified as you deserve. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.